I was a poli sci major and, you know, growing up, it was like I was going to be a lawyer and it was not necessarily something that was something I decided, I thought, like it was more of a, a family decision. Like you got good grades as a kid, Benny needs to go be a lawyer, right? Like in my immediate family, like only my uncle has graduated from college. And so, of course, I come from an immigrant family. You know, I was born in the United States, born in San Francisco, but like coming from an immigrant family, it was like they were pushing me in these areas. And I knew my calling was in the sports business, but I went to law school and one of the best decisions I made was walking away. This is The Change Up. I'm Keith Hernandez. This week's episode, we talk with founding partner of Marcy Avenue, Benjamin Aziz. Marcy Avenue is a multidisciplinary agency bringing people together through art and culture. We talk about his big break in sports marketing with the Golden State Warriors, helping to build and create a professional soccer club in Oakland, and why leaving the legal practice was the best thing he ever did. All right. This week, I'm really excited about our guest. It is Benjamin Aziz, the founder of Marcy Avenue. Benny, what's up, man? What's going on, Keith? It's great to see you. So you're fresh off your honeymoon and wedding spectacular. Tell us a little bit about that. Where did you go? It was an amazing experience. We were we had a destination wedding. We were privileged enough to be able to have it in Italy, somewhere where I've never been. And it was in Lake Como. Oh, uh, just, a, just a dream wedding. Yeah, it was it was. Uh, unbelievable experience and then we had our honeymoon throughout Italy worked our way down south all the way to the Amalfi coast so I'm back I'm revived I'm refreshed I'm opening up a new chapter I'm excited well congratulations on all of that man I'm super jealous I was actually down in Jacksonville where about a half mile away from my mom's place there's a street called Como Lake Street which mm. is nothing like, like <laughs> it's, it's a man-made small pond that they populate with fish. So tell us a little bit about Marcy Avenue. What is it and when did you start it? Yeah, so I'm excited to launch this venture agency. It's a multidisciplinary agency. We focus on the sports industry and beyond, kind of a culmination of background in my work history, kind of working in and around the sports industry. And now, you know, taking some of that experience shifting my gears more into the creative side of things, an area that I had a lot more interest and focus in and kind of building infrastructure around, you know, what could be hopefully the next big creative agency in the industry of sports. You know, we're a creative collective. It's a lot of different designers that work on different projects with me and I kind of work in different facets. Like I like to say, you know, I'm a business minded person with a creative eye and I try to kind of infuse the left and right brain in all the projects that I'm involved in. And hopefully that resonates with lots of brands as they start to uncover some of their needs. And this has been something that for me, working kind of behind the scenes, and I've been a part of some really transformational sports projects and privileged enough to see kind of the inner workings of how ownership groups operate, how leagues think about things, what role the public plays in some of these things. We could talk in detail a little bit about my history, but oftentimes the creative side was something that just was, you know, I had to suppress it, mm-hmm. but now just kind of like living into and embracing, you know, that side of me and hoping that that resonates with brands. And you, you realize that like design, art, creative strategy, all these things are really important in the grand scheme of things. And so, you know, it's been great to see the growth of the agency. That's fantastic, man. I love how you phrased it as creative collective. Can you dive a little bit deeper on that? What does that mean to you? How do you source designers and illustrators and all the other folks that kind of help make it come to fruition? Yeah, I mean, you know, starting an agency and during a pandemic is never easy. But one of the, I guess, like 
things that we had to do is, you know, you see a lot of different agencies with the bright, shiny, beautiful, you know, office spaces and all that. We weren't able to do that just because of sheer just hmm. situation. And starting from zero, you know, you have to kind of work into that as well. And so for us, like, I think it's actually been a little bit of a, I don't want to say advantage, but, you know, just it's worked in our favor in terms of being nimble enough to bring people on from project to project. And so I've developed relationships with several designers, artists, you know, motion graphics artists, illustrators, photographers, and various work that I've done in the past. And, you know, we have our go-to roster of people that we bring in for each project, but we don't have the overhead of some of the more traditional agencies. So that's been really helpful. And one of the folks that early on I got involved with on this, you know, we've partnered on this project or on this company. His name is Matthew Wolf. He's a renowned soccer designer, former Nike designer, went freelance. I'm a co-founder of a professional soccer team in Oakland called the Oakland Roots. We actually hired him to design our crest. He's done a bunch of work with Nike, oh, cool. like Nigeria, France, uh, you name it. Yeah, so some of the biggest soccer crests he's had a hand in, right? Yeah, and he's fantastic. And so I just really enjoyed the process, you know, with my fellow co-founders and working with him as well on on the Roots identity and really just thought like this is, yeah, this is what I want to be doing. And I'm more interested in this part of the business than any other. And so he and I just continued to, you know, develop friendship and working relationship. And one thing led to another. And so now my focus is, you know, helping build a lot of infrastructure around him and people in and around and kind of extending from his circle and mine, you know, on the creative side. And so, you know, it's kind of a yin and yang relationship in terms of how we approach projects. And so, you know, we have people working all around the world on project by project. And you realize, like, I've learned how specific of a discipline design is and so how many different layers go into it. And so, you know, we've had some really like appearingly simple designs have, you know, mm -hmm. seven to eight to 10 different people working on them. That's been really fascinating for me to see. That's really cool. And what's interesting, I think, you know, something that I've seen, it sounds like you've seen as well over the last couple of years is a lot of these amazing designers and creative thinkers don't necessarily want just a full-time job where they sit around nine to five and kind of get the emails coming in. They want to be able to have the creative flexibility to work on different projects and collaborate with different people. Are you seeing that as another one of the advantages is kind of the shift in thinking people going from full-time work to project-based work? Yeah, I think that's natural to designers and artists in general, like diversification. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing. And it's even more, I guess, amplified now in this new economy, new society, you know, faster paced world that we live in. I mean, just look at, you know, rest in peace, Virgil Abloh, like as one of the like right. premier creatives in our time and how many different things he was working on at once. Right. And it's not because he's bored. It's just because he has the creative juice to be able to do more than one thing. And I think that's not only something that the greatest artists have. I think artists in general, oftentimes, like I didn't realize like how good of a cartoon sketch artist Matt was, for example. But that's just something that he's never had to really tap into mostly in his career. But He's multifaceted, comes from a musical family, etc. And so there's a lot of different, I guess, like areas that in the creative kind of like spirit that need to be like scratched, I should say. And also, I mean, what gave me the confidence to start this is in a lot of my work, working with designers who were working in silos, who were doing the same thing over and over and just kind of tapping into their minds. And I've had experiences with designers that worked in-house at companies who were like, man, I just wish I could do more. There's more I want to do, but I've got like yeah. this boatload of deliverables I have to turn around, like boring, like, you know, need work versus like 
more creative work. And so, you know, what we try to do is like give our artists that creative spirit, vision, freedom uh, to be able to just ideate and, and do more. That's fantastic, man. What I found when talking to creative people, I think what they say is the hardest thing is figuring out what you say yes to, because you want to say yes to so many different things. How do you and Matt approach that with the work that you all are taking on? Because it's in so many different disciplines and so many different fields. How do you figure out what you say yes to? Yeah, I mean, early on, it was like say yes to a lot more than <laughs> necessarily handle and then figure it out as you go. I think Richard Branson had a line about, you know, just saying yes and then figuring out, even if you don't know how to do something, just say yes to it. And if you're asked to do it and then figure it out after. There's a little bit of that in how we started, but how I'm sure most startups started, right? And so like, that's, you know, no shame in speaking of this launch that way. So now that we're working with, you know, more established clients, larger demands, bigger budgets, more need to carve out people's time and be respectful of everybody's time, client and our designers. You know, I think that now it's starting to move into like you realize how why agencies are structured the way they are. And so you start to you know carve out and really implement more of a project management focus into the business. And that's kind of where I'm starting to shift my focus a little bit. It's like overseeing where people are allocated, you know, how projects are doing. And so, you know, I'm hoping to grow into a position to bring on a full time project manager soon. And are you now moving into using the software as a service? products like an Asana or a Trello, or I'm going to get real nerdy and tactical here. Are, are those part of it? Because as you start to expand, it gets even more complex where it used to just be text two or three people to get something done. And now it sounds like you've got this whole collective out there. Are you starting to leverage some of those tools? Yeah. I mean, we use Asana internally and really an interesting thing about Asana is like, I've had it for a while. I've said, I'm going to use it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you do two, three projects. These platforms are only as good as you make them. But now, like being in a position where like things are higher stakes, higher pressure, faster, you know, more on our plate, it's more of a need now. So like you, you almost like resorted to having to use them or else, you know, everything falls apart. And so I think designers appreciate that as well. Not only the client, because I could be annoying and just like start to text and WhatsApp and like Slack, like, hey, do this, do that, do this, do that. Or what about this? What about that? And then that, that you, you realize like, that's probably not the best environment for a designer to be working under as well. Exactly. So I have to kind of tone down that passion of mine and put in more structure. So that's kind of where our phase is right now. Cool. And so for anybody that's ever listened to hip hop, your name, Marcy Avenue, has significance. And it's obvious where it's coming from. But what does this mean to you? Why did you all choose Marcy Avenue as the name of the company? Yeah, so I started the idea for the business when I was living on Marcy Avenue, Marcy and Willoughby in bed and it was a time when, you know, I was working for the New York Cosmos and on their oh, cool. relaunch. And, you know, I've done a lot of work in grassroots soccer over the years. Part of, you know, I can get into a little bit of that and like how that shaped me. But it was a time when like I didn't necessarily know like where my career was going. And I'd moved to New York. I had completed a project back west in Sacramento. And I thought like, hey, let's go east, right? Let's go to New York. My brother was going to school at NYU at the time there. And so, you know, it was a... Uh, time when I started working in Manhattan, seeing kind of meeting people in the sports industry at the league offices and whatnot, I started to see a real disconnect between like how sports properties were marketing their game hmm. and how people were consuming sport. So selling versus consuming and like some of the phenomenon that was happening around like in the streets of Brooklyn, for example, in terms of like, you know, how the Nets were being kind of consumed, how the Knicks were, Yankees. 
And then even just like sports, you know, people just rock sports gear just because it's cool, right? Not even for any like geographical reason. And I felt like that wasn't coming from the properties. Like it was more organic. And I thought like there's a disconnect between, you know, what I was seeing like in the boardroom and what I was seeing in the streets. And so this was like, let's bring brands closer to the streets. And so that part of my life shaped me. But I do carry this burden now with a company named after a geographic location that you know is going to require us to give back to that community, work with local groups, continue to kind of stay authentic and true to that environment. And so that's something that's top of mind. And we're doing a lot of work in those areas, a lot that we can hopefully share in the near future. That's amazing. So how do you balance that out between making sure that you stay close to the roots of where it's being built, but also working with kind of the big global blue chip advertisers? Do you try to find like a percentage balance of time of day or what does it look like to you? I think it's more of like looking at this as an initiative or just like infusing it in everything that we do, but starting with tapping into my experience and helping build, you know, grassroots soccer teams. That's a natural place. And just speaking to people about like what's going on over there, you know? And so like we're looking to, you know, whether it's doing nonprofit work, whether it's using design as a way to highlight what's happening in underprivileged communities. Those are all things that we're thinking about right now. But like we want it to be through the lens of what a creative agency can do. So like how do we use design art to kind of empower people in local communities? And I think that's, you know, if you look at what Oakland Roots are doing, if you look at I'm also part of a Vermont Green FC launch uh, that happened recently with Matt. Art design is very much infused in some of this broader and bigger messaging and helps enhance and enlighten people on issues related to criminal justice reform, environmental reform, etc. Awesome. So let's go back all the way to the beginning. You've had a long, illustrious career in sports and founding the Oakland Roots, but I want to start right at the beginning. What was your break into the sports industry? My break-in was uh, started interning for the Golden State Warriors. I was working game nights in the game operations department. For people that don't know the lingo in the sports industry, like game ops is everything outside of the sport itself. So okay. uh, making sure the cheerleaders run out through the tunnel you know, for their timeout on time passing out t-shirts or being up till 2 a.m. the night before a nationally televised game and placing t-shirts on every chair, you know, with like 20 other people standing in the rafters and like throwing those, you know, uh, giveaway item umbrellas, (laughs) you know, to the fans, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the way I got help get the internship with the Warriors is my cousin, Janice. She's a, she's a makeup artist. Now she's traveling the world and doing all this stuff, but at the time, she was the makeup artist for the Warriors cheerleaders. And so oh, like, cool. helped, me okay. get, helped me get my break that way. But at the time, it was like, you know, I've always been interested in, I could even say devoted to being in the sports industry. Like I was the kid who like didn't play Madden or NBA Live. I did the franchise mode instead. You know, like I was very <laughs> yeah. into the business side of sport. Like I was 13 years old and like your friends talk about like, oh, you know, we should trade for this guy or that guy. And I'd be like, well, that doesn't work in the salary cap and stuff like I was this, I was just that like sports nerd growing up and so you know I knew this was my calling but I didn't know necessarily how to do it that was one big break for me and then I got hired full-time by the team and then moved up into the corporate partnerships can we go because I think this is a, a really important thing for younger people to kind of understand how you go from rocking the t-shirt cannon and dropping McDonald's coupon parachutes out to being in the corporate office, right? Because that's an amazing move. Can you tell us a little bit of how you got to that position to kind of go in and tell them more about what you want to do and the passion that you have for the brand? 
Yeah, I mean, I was a poli-sci major and, you know, growing up, it was like I was going to be a lawyer and it was not necessarily something that was something I decided, I thought, like it was more of a a family decision. Like, you know, Benny got good grades as a kid. Benny needs to go be a lawyer, right? Like in my immediate family, like only my uncle has graduated from college. And so, of course, I come from an immigrant family. I was born in the United States, born in San Francisco, but like coming from an immigrant family, it was like they were pushing me in these areas. And I knew my calling was in the sports business, but I went to law school and one of the best decisions I made was walking away. I went in with the intention of being a sports agent, but not necessarily like telling anyone that. And then when I saw a little bit of a disconnect between, you know, how much would have to happen, like how much work I'd have to do in the area of law until I got there, I thought like, let me just go mm-hmm. straight into the industry. And so I had to take two steps back or three to go four or five forward. Right. And so I, when I went into that internship, I took it a lot more seriously than it was like they would tell us to, you know, wear a button-up shirt and slacks for games and i'd come in with a full-on suit and tie (laughs) and i realized one thing is like being an intern at an nba game there's it's such a big operation and big production that like you're not being micromanaged so when you got that credential on i just thought this is my chance to go up and meet people so like i'd stay late after games i'd go up and start introduce myself to uh, actually introduce myself to uh, bill duffy who's an nba agent from the bay area i still do work with him to this day, I was an intern at the time. And so, you know, I just started to meet people that way and kind of wearing the badge and walking around as if, and that helped a lot. And I got my master's in sports management. So I think that helped shift my mindset into like doing this with a purpose. And then I was just, I kept kind of pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And so what really helped was moving into the corporate partnership side of the business, because, you know, early on, I had sat down with the CFO of the Lakers used to teach at our master's program in the Southern California branch and reached out to him and he gave me a tour of their whole facility. And like, I asked him for advice and told him what I wanted to do. And one of the pieces of advice that he gave me, Joe McCormick, that I still, I really thank him for this. He said, when you get into the corporate partnership side of the business, your experience is more scalable, whether or not you Mm -hmm. stay in the sports industry. And that's something I didn't want to hear at the time, but it was like, whether you want to stay or leave the sports industry, you know, you start to work with different brands. So ticket sales is more of like a personal relationship. Um, You're selling the team to an individual and a family. But when you're selling the team to a head of marketing, COO, a CEO, your conversations then become elevated. And uh, you have to have that different sense of responsibility going into those conversations. And so that helped shift my mind into like how I want to be portrayed and how I want to communicate in the industry. And so that allowed me to then end up going to Sacramento, working with the mayor's office, then tapping back into my political background where I never really thought the two would intersect and it started to. So I think like working in high level situations, I think was what that trained me for. That's amazing. It's amazing advice too, that it's really smart in in the way that you position yourself there. Let's talk a little bit about fashion because another one of your projects is the court. Talk to me a little bit about the genesis of that. Yeah, so that's a brand that, you know, is hopefully part of the ecosystem that we're trying to build. And so it's a basketball-inspired lifestyle brand. I'm a big fan of the game. And my partner, Farouk Rashad, I met him in Sacramento. He has a clothing line called Five Pillars that's connected to his history and heritage. And his kind of focus is on the manufacturing side, on the production side, on the product design side. And so he and I just kind of put our minds together. He approached me with this idea that he had. And I'm like, I'm in. I don't know how, but I'm in. I'll figure it out. Cool. Now, like, you know, we spent years on rather than just like starting out with like 
hey, let's create t-shirts and hoodies like every other streetwear brand. Like, let's think about design in a different way. Like, how do we showcase like something really intricate? Like, can we do something that's really wild and crazy? So we started this, created this bucket bag as our first product, kind of looks like a hoop. And we actually use like real, real basketball threads in the bag, handmade, hand woven. And it's been received really well. Like Hype ran a story on it. We're in Extra Butter in Lower East Side. We're in a lot of different streetwear shops. We're in Unknown in Miami. And so, you know, it's being received really well. And we think that that has legs. So that was kind of like pre-launch phase. We have an art director now, Miles Thompson. We've got product lines planned out. We're building out our kind of investment potential opportunities with the brand. We're bringing on advisors. And we're really trying to build this the right way. And look, when this first started, like we thought we had the most unique idea in the world is like bringing a fashion brand specifically to basketball. And you realize like there are other people doing it. So like Honor mm -hmm. the Gift, Russell Westbrook's company, Bristol Studio, which we really love out in LA. You know, each of these brands have their own kind of twist and interpretation. The sport is such a big platform that, you know, my vision, your vision, my experience, your experience can be really different. So what we're looking at is like looking at the court, if you will, as like a creative space and it's not athletes that are the only players basketball created in sport in general like there are communities in and around the sport that mm -hmm. are not just related to playing the game and so you know if you go on instagram you'll see so many different artists that are like really inspired by like michael jordan and 90s nba culture and all of that and like just for as one example i mean there's like you know you multiply that by 100 yeah his fits are coming back it's really funny seeing people kind of rock some of the jordan outfits oh yeah now it is yeah <laughs> it's funny because like he's now going back to slimmer pants because he's get made fun of wearing baggy pants and now all the kids are going yeah. back to the baggy pants so it's yeah so it's, <laughs> it's like full circle but yeah like you know we want to be able to look at the court like a canvas like we consider sport art and so that's our space to create, being a creative hub for artists and designers. And we're thinking about what that looks like. So does that move into areas of related to Web3? Is that more traditional? Like kind of like what's all on the table? But I'm really excited about like what LaCourt can be. That's really cool, man. So you got Marcy, you got LaCourt, you got Oakland Roots. You stay busy, man. Has that always how your brain has been? Or did you have to kind of unlock something to diversify these creative outputs that you have now? No, I've always been like that. I've always had that mentality. But the agency has really given me the discipline of like building systems and structure. And so like I don't want to be flimsy with this. Like I want to be able to establish kind of my roots into all three and look at them holistically. Because there's I think the potential is strong, the responsibility is large, and it's not just me anymore. So that's what's really exciting. That's amazing. If you look back at like twelve year old Benny Aziz, would he look at this and say, Oh man, you're living the dream, you're doing it. Is this kind of where your head was at, at that young age? What were you doing, tinkering around and stuff? Yeah, 12-year-old me was like, you know, I had like a notebook full of like, uh, I used to play like NBA Live, for example, and I'd like, yeah. I'd like log all the stats from every year. <laughs> okay, cool. Quick side note, who was your team then? Was it the Warriors then? I'm a Warrior fan. Yeah, I'm a Warrior fan growing up. So it was like Barrett Davis time, Tim Hardaway time? Oh, man, I'm going to date myself. I'm older than that. <laughs> it was run TMC, man. And then if you go through that notebook, you'll probably find sketches of like Charlotte Hornets and Orlando Magic logos and stuff like that. So <laughs> I think it's come full circle for me. Like I'm kind of like doing what I would always wanted to do as a kid, which is really exciting. What were your parents thinking at that time? Were you rocking like big Hornets starter jackets and <laughs> listening to hip hop? Definitely. Oh, yeah. How did your parents relate to that? Being You mentioned that they're immigrant parents. So they just say like, OK, that's U.S. culture. We're going to let him embrace it. Or they're like, OK, Benny's on one. No, they, you know what they embraced. They were, so 
uh, they came to the States when they were teenagers. So they, they were a little okay. bit more hip to the game. Like my dad played semi-pro soccer in Chicago. So they got it. They got it. Like I remember growing up, like my dad had recorded the 85 Bears Super Bowl on VHS. And like every year, every year it seemed like he'd pump out the video and like relive that <laughs> Super Bowl. So like we were really into sports and, you know, my dad's a musician. So like art and I have writers in my family. So it's, I kind of had this like suppressed a little bit, like this creative side of me. So it was really exciting to kind of bring that out. So they always knew who I was in that perspective. That's fun. And they're supportive now, I guess. I, I mean, how can they not be with all the cool things you're doing? Yeah, now it's like, I mean, you know, my mom's like number one Roots fan. She's at every game. She's cool. screaming her heart out at, at every game. But some of the stuff I'm working on, it's like, you know, we're doing like NFTs for one of our like soccer clients. And it's like, I'm trying to explain to her like what this stuff is, but I'm, I'm having trouble even understanding it first. So, <laughs> yeah. so now it's kind of like, okay, yeah, keep going. Are you Are you doing well? Yeah, you're doing well. All right, keep going. Yeah. So explain the power of NFTs in your view, right? Because I'm wrapping my head around it and I try to always be a little cynical so I can probe and get, and, and I talked to this guy uh, a couple, uh, well, actually the episode just went, uh, this guy, Mike Miraflor, who really helped me mm -hmm. kind of grasp uh, everything around it and the potential around it. Um, but what does it mean to you, especially in the art field? What, where do you see the power and the potential there? Yeah, I'm fascinated by NFTs. I think taking a step back, you know, it's literally just thinking about like what blockchain technology can do and how it creates scarcity. Right. And so like now, rather than just having a digital file that has a number on it, like you can put artwork on top of it. Like if you just take it and break it down from that perspective, I think that's makes it less intimidating for me. And so it focuses back on for me, like good design. Some of the early adopters in NFTs, you know, might not last. And it's probably safe to say but maybe they won't last because the art isn't that great. And maybe it's just that they're early adopters and they got into the technology early on. It's like, will there be another wave of really good art that now can elevate this even further, right? And so, you know, I think that brings us back to the traditional, like just make good stuff. And then the, me the medium and the method will kind of sort itself out. That's kind of like my guiding light, but that's not a perspective from you know, for example, your last guest who's more into the yeah. technology of it. Yeah. And, you know, I hope there is that wave, right? Because, you know, I look at it and when I talk to people, again, being a little bit of a jerk about it, I'm like, this just looks like Gorillaz albums <laughs> from the early 2000s, which is cool yeah. art, but I want to see the evolution of it. And the other thing that I, I look at where I can see real potential is sports teams or musicians creating a community like, you know, Oak and Roots might have season ticket holders who, you know, get an NFT of their favorite goal or get something exclusive. So I see the power there. Just don't know if it's being harnessed to its full potential right now. Yeah. I mean, early on, there was conversation about like, okay, so if you tether digital experiences to physical experiences, like a concert ticket or a game ticket to signify yeah. digitally to show that you were at that event. Like, that's interesting to me, but I feel like I've been reading a little bit more lately about does the physical even matter, right? Like you saw him talking about metaverses yeah. and all this stuff. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know where it will, it will all go, but it's something we're going to continue to learn about. That's awesome, man. I think it's just a fun space to be experimental. And I think that's, again, take the Seneca hat off and get optimistic about it. When I talk to people, there's just a lot of energy in that space and everyone's learning on the fly, right? Like that's kind of the fun part about it is it's not this like 
hundred years of history that you have to kind of break to start this new thing. It's just, this is new. Let's go for it. Yeah. And, and, you know, people that I follow who are really into this are really into this. Right. And so, yeah. you know, when you have that level of passion and advocacy from large communities of people, like that's something to take seriously. Like that's nothing to look at lightly. And so whatever we're phase we're in, in NFTs, we might not even be in 1.0, but if we are in 1.0, then like, what is 2.0, 3.0, 4.0 look like? kind of interesting to me totally agree so benny that's great I, the vision i hear you and it's fantastic right so let's move from vision to execution what are you most excited about in terms of the client work that you're doing here in 2022 yeah this is really a fun year uh to go into um you know most of our experiences in our past are connected directly to the sports industry from the team side and so we're continuing work with different clubs san diego wave fc is one that we're really proud of NWSL startup women's professional team in San Diego. And so helping build out that identity and Matt Wolf was the lead designer on it. And we really feel great about the final product. And we kind of did a whole exploration into the sun and the waves and the sand and the beach and what makes San Diego, San Diego. So part of like what we do is as an agency is kind of morph into kind of like a team operation, if you will, and also morph into the marketplace that we're representing and, and looking to embody in a crest, for example. And so that was a really, really exciting one. And we recently signed Alex Morgan to be their top star player. So her rocking the crest was a real surreal moment to see. Yeah, that's really cool. So talk about that. For people that have not been in the logo design or kit design world, it can get a little philosophical, a little heady there, right? On the creative aspect. How did you go about thinking about this? It sounds like you were trying to bring in things from San Diego into the logo and incorporate it. What was the task there for your team? Yeah, so it was to build an entire identity, actually. And, um, you know, we have a relationship with the ownership group there. And we're able to kind of manifest their vision into the crest and how they wanted to differentiate their brand from other professional teams in NWSL, but also beyond sports and also the Padres and the Chargers, who, of course, were there for so many years. You know, trying to find a unique brand and, and a lot of that, you know, the easy part of that, easy for me to say, but the natural kind of place to go to is, is the local community and the, and the vibe of the place and, and kind of tapping into that. Now, you know, my role at Marciav is to build, while I do have a creative side, right, and I do get involved in some of the creative aspects of brand identity and building, you know, all credit to Matt Wolf, who was the lead designer on this project and is the lead designer on so many projects that we work on together. But for me, it's about building the business infrastructure around him as a creative. And, and we like to talk about the yin and yang. So he's a very business-minded, creative person. And I like to see myself as a creative-minded business person. And so, you know, he has a way of putting vision, not just his, but also the clients, the communities, the sports into kind of iconic design. And so there's a simplicity, but also complexity to the design. And I think the pop of color was like the area that, that we really pushed forward when it comes to, you know, traditional soccer. That's cool. And talk about the difference between creating something for the digital world versus the physical world. Because what's fascinating about this project, right, is that this is not only going to be stuff that you'll go to the San Diego Waves website to see, but it's going to be on the pitch. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be what the players are wearing. Does that play into how you think about the creativity of the color blend and, and the design scheme and the colorway? Yeah, I think the digital has a lot of influence on what current crests look like, I must say. So, yeah. you know, if you look at the traditional crests from Europe, for example, you know, Manchester United, 
some of those types of like Real Madrid, some of those really complicated, complex, like crest style, royal style yeah. crest that, you know, modern day crests have kind of evolved from in a lot of ways. The simplicity of today is part of just like modernity and kind of modern and postmodern design art style, but it's also to be flexible from the physical and digital space. So how will it look on an avatar? I mean, we stare at these things, you know, we enlarge them to a massive size and then we also mm -hmm. make them super tiny. You know, one of the uh, crests that I think has made a lot of waves in the marketplace and the world is the new Juventus one. We get so many people that talk about like wanting to tap into what Juventus was able to accomplish when they move their crest into a ultra simplistic design that builds from the legacy of the stripes and all of that. And Interbrand is the agency that designed that. So shout out to them. They, they kind of changed the game yeah. in terms of how clubs perceive their brand. And so now a lot of talk is not only should it look good on fabric, it needs to translate across not only digital mediums, but also within other brand and media elements. And so, you know, how does it look on a TV screen as a watermark on a YouTube video? as well as on apparel and streetwear and all of that. So the role of a soccer club brand or what a soccer brand or sports team brand is supposed to do is, is really expanded in this new age. Yeah, it's really fascinating. That's a, that's a good segue to another project that you're working on called So Rare. This is where you dabble into the NFT and the Web3 world. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's an exciting one. You know, great people there. They're building something really special. So Rare is a fantasy NFT soccer platform which is kind of there's a gamification element and a collecting element as well and if you've played fifa ultimate team you could probably immediately understand what so rare is doing but it takes users through an experience where they experience a pack of digital cards digital soccer cards and that becomes your collection and based on how those players perform in real life you accumulate points and you can join different competitions and you know your collection becomes kind of like your own team so you, there's a lot like a fantasy team building element to it and then there's a whole marketplace. These NFTs are going for, you know, thousands of dollars oftentimes. That's wild. And it's officially licensed, correct? Is it just Premier League or other leagues participating in it? Oh, yeah. They've got licenses with so many different clubs and leagues. I think combined 220 clubs and leagues that they work wow. with. And they're always constantly, you know, introducing new clubs and teams and players. Recently, it's a kind of a newer client, but we're starting to work on social media design, pitch decks internally. UX design and then, you know, the NFTs themselves, which is something that we're going to start getting involved in. So we're really excited about the potential there and just moving into this new world where sports and the digital sphere kind of intersect. Yeah, it's really fascinating because I think, you know, the generation younger than us interacts with sports in such a different way, right? Like they don't necessarily watch the full match, but they are more connected to the players and more connected to the camaraderie than ever before. It's just they might not wake up for the game. So speaking of that, the other one that we have heard about is Fubo TV. What are you doing with them? They're, they have really done a great job continuing to grow the audience, especially for European football here in the United States. Yeah, and their CEO, David Gandler, is a huge soccer fan. You know, Fubo TV has been an exciting opportunity for us. We build out their apparel line and, and their e-commerce platform. And so that's Very cool. something that we're you know, kind of cooking up as we speak. And so we're evolving a lot of different styles for them. And so a lot of what we do is in the kind of merchandise and apparel design world. And so a lot of brands are looking at, and Fubo included, you know, building out their merchandise collection to be more like wearable apparel. Like, you know, I think one mm -hmm. of the great examples yeah. that we often look at in the industry is Overtime, the Overtime Shop, 
pretty awesome. Like it's its brand in and of itself. And so, you know, how do you take the goodness of the rich content experience that Fubo has been able to create and translate that into things that people want to wear? And so they're kind of dabbling into that area. And so again, early stage, we're starting to build out a lot of elements for them, but we've created a lot of custom capsule collections and things of that nature. So, you know, that's an ongoing relationship that we're thrilled to be a part of. And, and I know we're going to start tapping into some of the shows and broadcast offerings that they have and kind of translating that into streetwear. Very cool. So such a great roster of clients, such interesting and different work. How, how do these projects come? Is it usually somebody at that client has a very specific ask and they bring you in to execute or does it kind of start in a completely different direction? And you have to kind of steer it towards something that makes sense. I mean, I first started in the industry working in partnerships and I know that these are like long drawn out, you know, sales processes or partnership processes. And so, you know, they come in different ways. There's inbound, there's outbound, there's just relationship nurturing and, and phone calls and connections like that. Like one, I guess, drawback of COVID, you know, there's many, but one yeah. from a business perspective has been, you know, that rubbing of elbows and handshaking is, you know, out of it. But now yeah. you can make connections digitally a lot easier, though, with less kind of barrier uh, and less friction. And so, you know, as a leader of a business, I have to go out and bring in business. And, you know, Matt and I both kind of team up on that process. And, you know, he's built such a name for himself in the industry that, you know, people reach out to him. And so that's been a blessing for us to be able to look at opportunities and see who we want to partner with. I mean, that's oftentimes like not something that, you know, so oftentimes it's, that's a, I, I see that as a privilege, the ability yeah. to be able to discern between people that we want to work with. But, you know, as we continue to grow, you know, we're adding more designers, we're adding project managers. We're looking at proper agency in this new era, whatever that looks like in 2022. But, you know, I'll, I'll be out there hitting the pavement a lot more. Hopefully. <laughs> cool. Yeah. We've lost the serendipity, which is always fun, right? Being able to bounce into somebody at a conference or at an event. But I think we've gained a little bit of intentionality where you can be a little bit more upfront with somebody that you want to collaborate or you're inspired by their work because people need that human emotion back. And I think people respond to that. Very cool, man. Any other projects that you want to talk about? You know, we've got things in the horizon. So, you know, more professional teams, you know, things that you'll see over time, but like, you know, we're doing Jersey design for professional clubs. We're in conversations for more logo design, crest design. Hopefully you'll hear more about us in the coming year. Very cool. So near the end of the interview, I try not to get predictions because I think predictions tend to not never happen. So I, I more ask, like, if we got together next year at this time, what do you hope you've been able to accomplish? What would be the best outlook for the next year? You know, I think, you know, we want to be able to have good quality partners that we can be proud of, that can be proud of us. I would love to further kind of build out the portfolio and roster, actually even go deeper with some of the early clients that we have brought in and partnered with. I think, you know, to tell you that, like, they've kept us and we love working with mm -hmm. them would be really like a feat, I think, in this climate. And then the next thing is like we're looking at you know, rebrands and brand identity projects for you know, some of the biggest clubs and professional franchises in the world. And that's, that would be a, a really exciting opportunity. Awesome, man. I can't wait to follow back up on that and see some of that work. So how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, Benny Aziz, B-E-N-N-Y-A-Z-I-Z. Also, Benjamin at MarcyAvenue.com. Always lines, always open, always looking to talk, collaborate, shoot the shit. <laughs> awesome, man. 
Benny, uh, it's been a pleasure. Congratulations on everything, the success of the company, and most importantly, the success with your new marriage, man. Hey, thanks so much. And I got to give thanks to my wife, Shemin, who really helped inspire me as well. She's in the fashion business and design business. And so she helped really empower and give me the, the confidence to say, like, go after what your heart and soul wants to do. And so I'll, I'll always be indebted to her for that. And also, you know, excited about the new chapter together. Awesome, man. Congrats. Thank you for listening to The Change Up, produced by Elena Weedland, with original music by Rodney Hazard. If you liked what you heard, we'd appreciate your support by liking, sharing, leaving a comment, and subscribing wherever you listen. Thanks once again. Until next time.